If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 again, we're going to read verses 16 through 20. Actually, we'll go 14 through 20. I'll read that again. We are, this is the, the last of a, a short series called The Gospel Walk about how do you follow Jesus in everyday life? Uh, what are the patterns that are being repeated over a lifetime of this whole idea of repenting, believing the gospel, and then rising up and following, uh, doing what Jesus commands. And so let's read our text, and we will talk about following this week. This is God's word. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time was fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother who were in the boat, their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and God in heaven, we ask that you give us ears to hear the call of your kingdom, to repent, to believe your gospel, and to, to rise up to want to faithfully follow Jesus. And so we ask that your spirit would come and, and help seal this good news on our hearts even before we taste it as we will uh, coming to the Lord's Supper. So teach us, don't let us leave here the same because you, we have heard your voice. Uh, do not let us harden our hearts as, as your people of old did. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a guy named Eugene Peterson, uh, many of you know, he was the author of the, the Message Translation of the Bible, wrote a great book on discipleship called uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Um, and one of the things he said, it's, it's really helpful, where he says, it's not difficult in our world where our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials to get someone briefly interested in Jesus and the message of the gospel. But what it is terribly difficult to sustain is a long lifetime interest. Because there's a great market for religious experience, but there's little enthusiasm for the patience, acquisition of virtue. See, little effort is made to sign up for a long, a lifelong <laughs> apprenticeship with Jesus, learning how to be, become holy. So what he's saying is it's easy to say, yes, Jesus, I love that you love me, but it's hard to, to, to get that reality into your life where day in, day out for the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, or longer years, saying, I want to follow Jesus from now and forevermore. We get distracted. We all know this. If you've ever tried to pick up any new discipline, I tried to teach myself guitar in my 20s. I think I just started to get calluses and then I tapped out. 
And anyone who plays guitar, right, I'm just not as cool as you guys who, who are faithful. But the way to get there, right, was practice, 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 the, re the repetition. And so that's really the big idea of this sermon series, is to learn how to be intentional in these practices that will set you up for a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, these Jesus-commanded patterns to help you, us finish the race that Jesus has started you on. To repent, believe the gospel, and follow. To eat, sleep, and repeat. That's what it means to be a, a disciple. Uh, you are following Jesus uh, every day. And as we do these things, this is my hope and prayer, as we do these things together, um, it will unleash the power of the gospel in your own life and in your home and in our church and in our community. You'll, know, you'll, you'll grow in your maturity and faith. Uh, you'll become more human as Jesus is human. Uh, you'll grow in your love for God and for other people. And if you aren't sure what I'm talking about, find somebody else. That's the whole point. Just join the club. <laughs> this is a process. Um, if you aren't sure where to start, you can start with the order of worship. It's, it, there is an intentional design where you can go back by yourself. It's going to teach you to repent, to adore God for who He is, uh, to remind yourself what's true, to confess what's not true of you, to believe the gospel, to hear it again, to study the scriptures, and go out as a follower, a witness, a fisher of men. Even our order of service is trying to teach you to do these things. So, with that introduction to the introduction, <laughs> right, th these, are, these three are important things, and if, if you ignore any one of these, uh, if you stop repenting but you keep believing and following, if you stop following but keep believing, right, if it's, it's going to make you unbalanced. It's like someone who goes to the gym and only curls one arm, right? You're going to have one really big arm, and you're going to have this little chicken leg over here, and you're going to look funny. Right? So you need all three, because if you don't repent, if confession isn't a part of your life, uh, you're going to breed pride. You're setting yourself up to see yourself as you are not. Uh, if you stop believing the gospel, that's going to put a lot of pressure on yourself. It's going to breed despair. You're not going to change. You're not going to believe God's really with you, which will make you lonely. If you don't follow, if we leave out this last step we're going to talk about today, well, you'll, you'll be apathetic towards doing the things that Jesus saved you to do. You won't change, even if your words say otherwise. <laughs> so we need all three together. And so why don't we start this way. And Jesus, in verse 17, says, follow me, come after me. In verse 17, what do you hear him saying to you? And when he says follow, do you hear just keep my commandments? Some form of... What would Jesus do? Imitate Christ? Follow me? Start this journey of obedience? Um, do you hear something like, live sola bootstrappa? <laughs> right? Pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps? Try harder? You know, there's a place for that. That's what I'm saying. If you only, if you only say, I'm going to follow, I'm going to imitate, it's going to set you up to burn out. And not feeling good enough. And that's when the gospel comes in. And, and, and this is what we've been talking about. That Christianity is not primarily what you do for Jesus, but it's about what's been done for you in, in Jesus and what he is doing for you. It's good news. It's that historical reality that Jesus lived a perfect life of love. He died an unjust death for you on the cross. And he rose again. And God has made the one who died for you 
king of the cosmos, king of the universe. That's the one who says, follow. But through him, all is forgiven. You're justified. I mean, it's this amazing thing that sets you free from exhausting, unfruitful obedience. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. You're made right by God only with true faith in Jesus Christ. And even though you haven't kept the commandments, you still get in trouble, still inclined to all evil. God, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, gives to me the perfect righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness of Jesus. And he gives those to me, so now I'm treated as if I've never committed any sin, and like I'd been perfect, like Jesus was perfect. As we told the kids, just accept the gift. Right, that's, that's the believe part. But something happens, and I've seen this in my own life and in others. If you only talk about grace, separated from the person of Jesus and his commands, you become a grace addict, and anytime anyone tells you to do anything, right, you just freak out and say, no, 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 that's the law. I'm free from the law. Why do I have to do something if God loves me? Right? Jesus loves me, so get off my back. <laughs> Don't tell me how to live my life. Everything is by grace and forgiveness alone, so just bask and bathe in it. Um, the problem is, those, a lot of times what happens well, the people basking in grace aren't that easy to get along with because they're not trying to change. It's easy to become slothful. You're all, and what, it's, what I'm trying to show you is there's ways where you're just curling with one arm where you're saying just do, 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 right? So you're just lifting with the right arm. Or it's just about being, just believing in grace, and you're lifting with the other arm, but either way it's imbalanced. Which is why you need the follow part of the gospel walk to follow Jesus, to come after him, to, to live out those things he is calling you to do, to help connect together your doing and being to the gospel. Right, Paul would say it's connecting faith to faith's obedience in Romans 1. Pastor Jim's been preaching in John. You, you love God, but that love given to you is also lived out in love for one another. Those two things go together. Ephesians would put together grace, and the works that God planned beforehand for you to do. So, following has to do with doing, with, with some kind of action, with following and obeying. What does it mean to follow? And this is, this is where this text is really helpful, because it tells you where, what Jesus will form you into as you follow. So point number one, uh, we're going to look at this. First, Jesus finds you and calls you. This, we need to connect our being and doing. All right, in verse, verse uh, 15, 16 and 17, it says, Jesus was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew casting a net into the sea, and their fishermen. He said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So this is an important step in following. Who started this whole conversation to begin with? Who found, who saw first? Because right, there are these two guys born into a life of obscurity and hard work in a small fishing village in, the, in ancient Israel. And all of a sudden, when Jesus saw them and called them, 
They found themselves launched into a life-changing adventure of faith, a world-changing mission. They got dragged into what Jesus was doing because <laughs> he found them. And this is unique. Right? If you're going to follow Jesus, this is unique. It's not, in, in the ancient world, it, it was the students who chose the person they wanted to be like. Right? There's that rabbi. He sounds really smart. He knows a lot about the Bible. I want to be like him. And then you go and say, Rabbi, will you teach me? Jesus flips the order around. The rabbi, the teacher, the master, comes to his disciples and says, I want you to follow me, to learn from me. Right? And so what this is teaching you and I is that a lifetime of following Jesus begins with him finding you, begins with him calling you. Look at verse 16. It says, Jesus saw them. He saw Simon and Andrew. In verse 19, he saw James and John. And then he called. You have the same pattern repeated with Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, in chapter 2. When Jesus saw him, he called him to follow and join the mission. See, the story of being a follower of Jesus, a Christian, begins with Jesus seeing you. And it's such a small detail, but it's immensely powerful, and it'll make you more human, (laughs) a better human. I want to overemphasize how significant that is, that you were seen first. You're seen right now by God. You live quorum Deo, before the face of God. But at some point in in your history, or maybe it's today, Jesus says, I see you, come after me and follow. Kids, see if you're still awake here. We're not that far in. If, If your mom and dad are Christians, the reality is God, Jesus, saw you even while you were in your parents' womb. And he's calling you to follow him even at a young age. But he saw you first. Jesus saw all the particular details that make you, you, and called you anyway. (laughs) You know, Jesus would later say that what you look at reveals what's in your heart, reveals what you love in Matthew chapter 6. That what you look at reveals what you love, what you value, what your priorities are, and what Jesus looks at is people, men, humanity. Mark 6 continues the story. When Jesus saw the crowds, he didn't see uh, uh, people. Yeah. No, it says he saw the crowds, he had compassion, and because they were like sheep without a shepherd, he began to teach them. Seeing drew them closer, drew Jesus closer to the people. The story of Nathaniel when he became a disciple. Right? Jesus said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel, we don't know what Jesus saw and what Nathaniel was doing in John chapter 1. But it's so personal and so intimate that Nathaniel can't believe it and says, You are the Son of God. I'm with you. I'm following you. You know me and called me anyway. So if you combine that seeing with Jesus' promise and uh, his proclamation of what you will become in verse 17... Uh, that if you follow Jesus, you will become fishers of men. He's telling you that if you follow him, like Simon and Andrew, James and John, you will become better Jesus-like lovers of people. 
It's going to teach you to see people. So Simon and Andrew and James and John, just as they spent all their time smelling like fish, uh, thinking about fish, working to catch fish, strategizing to, to catch fish, maintaining their life so that all of the, they could just continue their business, spending all, it's, Jesus is saying, this is what you will become. You will become a person who will smell like people, who will think about people, who will be intentional to, to fish for people. Working on how to love them, how to see them, how to pursue them the way Jesus pursued you. This is what you will become if you follow. See, discipleship, following Jesus begins with grace, but then he says, come follow me and I will change you. And so right now, whether you know little to nothing about Jesus in the Bible or you've, you've been doing this for a long time, you've got a lot memorized, don't miss the sweetness of being seen by Jesus because this is what starts your journey and sustains it. He saw you first. He's going to teach you what to do. He promises not to leave you alone till you become a fisher of men. And he says, follow me. It's gracious. It's powerful. He knows you. He knows your faults. He knows you're not qualified for the job. He's going to make you qualified. He's going to teach you. And if you respond to this call, it's because he loved you first. <laughs> it's, a, it's a powerful word. I mean, we have already been told in Mark that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that God has put on the throne of the universe. And he is the one who says, come, follow me. It's the command of your king, getting you to rise up and say, oh, captain, my captain, I will follow. Right. But it begins with being seen. And this is beautiful because if you don't know Jesus, you know what it's like to be adrift in the cosmos, to be alone, to wonder why you are here. And that the initial cure to that lonely, loneliness and the lostness and the purposelessness right, begins with being seen by Jesus, who calls you to come and follow and join the work of making the kingdom of God uh, grow by loving other people. And if you're a long-time Christian, or maybe you haven't been intentional in a long time, you've been treading water, or you're bored with God and Scripture and you've lost your purpose, or maybe you're just tired and exhausted because life, life is hard. Right? You still have this reminder here. Jesus saw you, He still sees you, and He's still saying, come after me, follow me. It still applies. And in fact, I, for me personally, it becomes even more meaningful because I'm a lot more aware now in my 30s of how much of a pain in the neck I am. <laughs> and I imagine that grows with each decade. Right? <laughs> Got an amen there. Right? There's more for Jesus to forgive. He becomes bigger as, as I my walk. He's not bigger, but I see more of him. Which, and he, so he's still calling me to, to grow, to change. But the beauty of being seen doesn't go away. So this is, this is discipleship. This is following. It begins with being found, being seen, and hearing the call then as one who has received the grace of the gospel to follow, to submit to the commands of your King Jesus, to live under his reign of grace. Now point two. Right, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, the, the point is, Jesus will form you 
into a fisher of man. And if you look at the story, these guys have no idea what they're signing up for. <laughs> All we know is immediately they stopped what they were doing and had a whole new center of their universe, which is Jesus. Right? What the, all they have is the same thing we have. Is they, they heard repent, they heard believe the gospel, and they chose the Jesus way to follow him on this grand adventure where they be, were going to become things they never thought possible. <laughs> and so this is the point. Uh, if you follow Jesus, if you're faithful to this command, you will not stay the same. I mean, that's what Jesus says to these guys, right? You will, future tense, you will become something you are not now. If you asked my 15-year-old self, uh, do you believe that you will, will, for a career, make a career out of public speaking? Right? I would just get anxious thinking about it. I'd have to go change my shirt. I just, this was, that was like pulling fingernails out. I hated it. I couldn't imagine where God would lead me. So I see this to be true, right? It's, Jesus has an agenda and he will change you. And it's a better agenda for your life than your agenda. Because my agenda is claustrophobic. It's all about me. Right? So when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, he is loving you. He is seeing you with an agenda. He has a plan for your life. He's saying you need changed. If you need to become something, that means you are, are not yet there. He's saying, for many, well, I'll put it this way, for many of us, we're up for this forgive everything thing, but are you willing to have someone to come into your life, the God of gods, King of kings, and just start moving things around and telling you what to do? Right. Do you want, do you, are you really ready for Jesus to come into your life and into your heart, into your mind, and just start rearranging the furniture without asking your permission? Because he doesn't. He just says, follow me. Right. And I know for most of us, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, this is where the difficulty is. When he says, this is what I, you will become, I don't want to do any work to get from here to there. <laughs> I want it to be magical. And I'm completely distracted by other things, right? I mean, you see James and John and, and Simon and Andrew, they love their family, they love their home, they love their comfort, they love their job. And immediately they leave those things and get a completely new set of values. And in, in the words of the Hobbit, all right, Bilbo, this is in the story of the Hobbit, there's a great picture of what this looks like. Because Bilbo's at home minding his own business and he gets this adventure, just invades his home, his world. These 12 people come in and just invade his house, he feeds them, and then invite him to come on a quest where it says, you have to fight a dragon. You might die. And he's freaking out about this whole thing. And Gandalf comes to Bilbo, and it's a haunting conversation, where he asks him, when did doilies and your mother's dishes become so important to you? The world is not in your books and not in, in your maps. It's actually out there. <laughs> and Bilbo asks, well, can you promise that I will come back? And Gandalf says, no. But if you do come back, you will not be the same. And Bilbo said, that's what I thought. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to move. 
What I love about that picture is it comes right after us. It's the same way Simon and Andrew does. Is when did your mother's doilies, what, fill in that blank, whatever those doilies may be for you, um, become so important that you don't want to change, that you don't want to step out in faith, that you don't want to let Jesus tell you what to do. Because it goes right after our comfort, it goes right after our fear of change. I don't want to be put in a place where I have to trust, because that is terrifying. Just ask James and John when they're on the boat in a storm. Nobody wanted to be there where they had to turn to Jesus and say, help me, because we're going to die. But the promise is, because Jesus' agenda for you is more zealous than your agenda, (laughs) if you rise up and follow... You will be changed, if you're willing. Jesus commands, follow me. Let's do this. You will be a fisher of men. And I know you can argue that, try and argue that this command doesn't apply to you today because he's talking to the apostles and it's historical, but as you read the the Gospels, right, disciples become the code word for Christians. Christians are disciples. And so when Jesus says, follow me, I'm going to teach you to love people. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Look at, it, look at Jesus' agenda. It's a wonderful plan for your life. It's with other messy people, sinners. People, go teach people who don't want to be taught to how to repent, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus. But if you follow Jesus, this is his agenda. Your priorities will change. What you love and how you see people will change. Because if you look at the call... What was the drastic priority for these men, Simon and Andrew, that changed first? Their career, their parents, I mean, they, they drastically leave behind their family and their jobs. Meaning, for us today, they, their love for Jesus trumped their, their love for family and work. It's not that you don't stop working and you don't stop loving your family, it's comparative. It's saying following Jesus will take priority over your job, over your family, and over everything else. It's the most important. As Jesus would say, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. These other things will be added to you. What's going to happen is, where these men once spent all their time thinking about fish, thinking about their families, thinking about their fathers, poor Zebedee gets left in the dust with all the work. No, it's gonna, you're going to change. You're going to start thinking, what, what does Jesus think about this? <laughs> what a radical question. You're going to start thinking about, how do I love somebody, even if they're difficult to love? How do I forgive? Right. Or I could say it another way. Right? We, we got the amen. Right? We, I, we are painfully self-absorbed, focused on our own kingdom, our kingdom of one, where I am the king of my domain and you exist to serve me. That's my default mode. And Jesus interrupts Simon and Andrew, James and John, and and us to say, I'm here to heal you of your self-absorption. The kingdom of God is much bigger than you and your wants. Come follow me. I'm going to teach you to love people. And you know what this looks like because we've experienced it. When somebody who has... We'll just say they're further along in the Christian walk. They're, they're a fisher of men. They love people. When they come into your life, it's, it's life-giving. 
on someone who is genuinely more interested in you than talking about themselves. When they sacrifice their time, their money, their energy to come alongside you. When you feel loved, that's freedom. When someone forgives you rather than pushing you away, right? That, that's what a fisher of men would, will do. It's like paradise because who does that anymore? We're just so used to being yelled at. Right? Or you could put it the opposite way. We've all felt the awkwardness when someone demands they be the center of attention and demand to get their own way and refuse to budge a single inch to make any room for you. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You do you. Right? That, that whole attitude is suffocating and selfishness. So if you're going to follow Jesus to become a fisher of men, your priorities will be changed. And your priorities will be making room for other people so that they have room to find Jesus themselves through you. And I mean, that's, that's what Paul Tripp says in the reflection. God accomplishes the work of change as the Holy Spirit empowers people, you and I, to bring his word to others. Right, and so look at how Jesus teaches. I love how he does this, and then we'll, we'll bring this to a conclusion. Right, he just says, come, and then he immediately puts James and John, Simon and Andrew, into places and situations they would never be on their own. Right, the, the next paragraph, they're in, they're in church, and somebody's angry at Jesus. He has an unclean spirit, and so they watch him deal with evil. And then they, they go to Simon and Andrew's house, and this is beautiful. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She can't get up. She can't move. Jesus heals her. But he doesn't do it in, in a way that is impersonal. He does it in a way that, that is immensely personal. He's teaching them how to be fishers of men. Because he doesn't just say, be healed. He comes, he takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up and empowers her to go back to work. I mean, it's totally unnecessary, isn't it? If you have that kind of power, just snap your finger, make her better. Right? Or just speak a word. No, but you're getting a picture of Jesus, who's a king, who loves people, who's not afraid, who's not ashamed to smell like people, who's not afraid to touch somebody who's sick. Right? That's a fisher of men. If you get to Mark chapter 2, when James and John and Simon and Andrew, they're already being called Jesus' disciples and they get invited to a dinner party they would never dare to go by themselves. It's with tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes. Moral failures. What's the point of that story? It's to show them that even those that you think are really, really bad and off limits, they too can be made worthy followers of Jesus. You're not fishing for perfect people, you're fishing for sinners. It's teaching James and John and us to love people without an ounce of self-righteousness, without that big plank in your eye, uh, without, without any hint of that attitude that I am well and why can't you not just stop being sick? Because Jesus didn't come for those who are well. He came for messy people, sinners. So hope... Hopefully what I'm trying to show you is the way Mark just lays it out through pictures and stories is that if you, Jesus' command to come after him, to follow him, to become a fisher of men is to learn to love 
and to see what Jesus loves and sees. And that's people. And the way he taught people how to follow is they just immersed them into ministry before they ever knew what they were doing. One of, the, one of my pastor mentors that I never met, a guy named Jack Miller, one of the things he loved to do to people is somebody would come in off the streets, very needy, obvious, uh, exhausted, maybe alcoholic, homeless, whatever it might be, and he would go, okay, have you met my friend Steve? Steve's taking you to dinner, and then he would just walk away. <laughs> he was teaching them, teaching Steve anyway, to be a fisher of men to go love sinners as Christ loves sinners. I think Steve was uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm making up the name, whoever it was. But that's how you learn. You go out and follow. Right? So Jesus has an agenda for your life. It's to heal us of our unhealthy obsession with ourselves, to, to make you into someone who knows how to draw someone out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Jesus' agenda is to make you like him, a fisher of men. And it's going to take time. Right? Simon and Andrew did not become that automatically. And Mark, it's like they never get it until after the, the resurrection. You know, they get it in bits and pieces really slowly. That's three years' worth. Right? And no, none of them knew what it would take to get there, how much failure it would take to get there. Right? Simon couldn't imagine himself failing again and again. He didn't plan to be called Satan when he first heard of Jesus' plan to die on a cross. He didn't plan to betray Jesus three times because he's scared of people. And he could not plan that that was the journey that Jesus would use to form him into a person who believes the gospel and, and teach him how to shepherd and love those people God loves. What about you? You and I have unique failings, fears, sins, selfishness, ways that are, that are you, your mess, your career, your romantic history, successes, failures. All of that is part of Jesus' toolbox to form you into a fisher of men. Because there are people you can relate to that I cannot that our elders cannot, that other people in this room simply cannot, because they're in your world, not mine. But if you follow Jesus, he's willing to take decades to develop you, to grow you into a disciple, a disciple who is a fisher of men. They are synonyms. They go together. Do you believe that? Last point in conclusion. It's a command. <laughs> it's in the imperative. Come after me. And if you're going to be a disciple, he's saying, do this. Later, he's going to say, take up your cross and follow me. This is going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to say no to yourself. You're going to have to trust me because there's going to be moments where you're on the cross saying, God, have you left me? You know, where it feels like you have no clue what is going on and I don't know why you're leading me through this. Take up your cross and follow me. Because there's parts of us that have to die. See, the, the, the command is come and be formed into the image of the one who died for you on a cross. Let your life be Jesus-shaped. And here's the beauty of it. 
Jesus has already run this race better than you and I ever could. Even the command here in, in Mark chapter 1 to give up your priorities, to leave your father, to go love people like James and John did. That's what Jesus had to do for this mission to happen in the first place. He had to leave his father's throne in heaven, to come down to earth, take that leap of faith, follow the Spirit's leading into places that were uncomfortable, the wilderness, testing even to hell itself on the cross in order to go fishing for sinners. I mean, that's, that's the story of Christmas that we're celebrating this season. God doesn't just tell you what to do. Jesus came down to do it for you and calls you to come after him because he has already obeyed. Jesus, God has already become human in order to smell like a, pe- a person. To, he's already, before eternity passed, thought about people, been intentional. He's already intentionally come down to taste our sadness, to redeem every stage of human life from con- conception, <laughs> right, in the womb, toddlerhood, all the way up to adulthood and death. He's already tasted that for you. That's the one who says, come after me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will not leave you alone. What does that look like? There's a lot. But just get this big idea. Following Jesus means I want to commit now to learn to love what Jesus loves, including his Father in heaven, and, and other people. It's going to involve learning what to do, sure. Obey, obedience, keeping his commandments. It's going to involve doctrine. Who is this person who said, come follow me? Right? You're getting to know God as he is. But commit to be a learner, a lifelong learner. And the second, commit to, uh, commit to not following Jesus alone. You notice, James and John, Simon and Andrew, all these guys, they didn't come to faith uh, in a vacuum by themselves. It was in a community. Uh, They they figured this out together. My prayer for our church as we go forward is is that as you're willing to be discipled and say, I need help, that we'll be able to find people in our community who are a bit further ahead and we'll follow Jesus together. So that you can learn to disciple someone else to become a fisher of men. That's, that's what Jesus calls us to do. Right? There are people you can disciple that I cannot. Right? Live life together. That, that's part of what this is saying. And then lastly, pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you with God's love, the Spirit of Christ. Because when that happens, you're going to be empowered to love what, what Jesus loves. The Spirit will work out Jesus' agenda for your life to make you become a fisher of men. So commit to be a learner, commit to not be alone in this, and and commit to ask the Spirit's help. So here today, again, what Jesus says to you, repent, turn and look at Jesus, believe God's good news, stand up and follow your crucified King who loved you first, and he will make you into a fisher of men a lover of people. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for your grace that found us first. We thank you for Jesus who is faithful even when we are faithless. And I pray for our church in general and those here that they, we would hear very clearly your words to follow. And that when we get distracted and we find ourselves in a ditch somewhere off on the side of the road, we would pick ourselves up, repent, believe the gospel, and continue to follow, Lord. Uh, so give us the courage the trust, the faith, and the filling of the Spirit to love what you love, to learn to love our Father and other people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.